0: And grab it. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Consequently, just as one trespasses, one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. In other words, one sin created sin in all people. So also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. In other words, Jesus' sacrifice gives us hope. For just... As through the disobedience of the one, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also might reign, grace might also reign through, relation, through righteousness to bring us life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin caused death. Jesus' sacrifice brings life. Sin ended grace. Jesus' sacrifice brings righteousness. Man sins. God forgives. That's what that's saying over and over. It's calling on us to obey. So how can obedience to God be defined? I talked about obedience in the last three weeks. Today we're actually talking about the beauty of obedience and what happens when we obey. So how is obedience to God defined? It's defined this way. Obedience to God is defined as understanding and making ourselves right with Him. We are a sinful people. Whether you want to admit it, whether you recognize it, maybe you only focus on your sin. But you are a sinful people, and God's righteousness is the only thing that brings us hope. And too often times, we're trying to do things on our own. We're trying to create our own path. We're trying to make things. And it's if we want to obey God, here's how we obey God: we recognize our sin we repent of our sin, and we begin to become righteous. God's righteousness, God's grace, is enough for you. There's the basic salvation message right there. The beauty of obedience is it allows us to reconnect with God. So why is this so difficult? Why is it difficult to do what God has called us to do? Well, I I have three basic ideas on this, and these are my ideas. I'm not even saying they're spiritual. But one, we don't understand what God wants. Number two, once we understand it, we don't know how to fulfill it. And number three, because we still have our own selfish nature, at the end of the day, we want to do what makes us happy, what brings us joy, what brings us fulfillment and satisfaction instead of what he's called us to do. However, what I found in life is oftentimes that third one, once I begin to do what God wants me to do, Both what I desire changes, who I am changes, and as my nature changes, it's easier to align with what he wants me to do. But it's still that act of faith. It's still that stepping out. It's still that doing what he's called me to do. It's still being 68 years old and agreeing to go to a camp for kids. It's still being willing to give when the budget's tight, but God desires for me to give. It's still giving my time to my kids, even when I've had a long, hard day. It's still loving my neighbor, even when my neighbor is a jerk. It's still doing those things he's called me to do, but as I do those, it begins to change who I am, shape who I am, I become more and more and more like him, and as I do, my old challenges fall away, and new challenges arrive. For many of us, we want to be obedient, but at the same time, we don't really want to give everything we can to Jesus. So what we do is we try to make it easier by changing our definition of Jesus or, or redefining who he is. John fourteen fifteen tells us this. This is what Jesus says. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. So if I'm going to keep his commands, I have to do what he says. So I change and I morph and I shape Jesus into the happy guy that just likes people. I change him into the socialist that matches my political agenda. I change him into this or into that. I create the me Jesus. He's here to serve me. Does not require me to change. Makes me happy, but there's no depth in that relationship. Jesus is not here to make you happy. Jesus did not come to earth, live as a human, die, resurrect so that you'd be happy. He came so that you could be forgiven. But our society wants to create a me Jesus. Then there's the American Jesus. It confuses patriotism with following Christ. We'll stand up, we'll say the prayer and the pledge, and we say them in one thing. I believe that God has uniquely blessed and given favor to us as a nation. But I don't believe that we should ever confuse that blessing with favoritism. And I don't believe that it's an unconditional American can do whatever they want and still be blessed by God. I believe that he set us up because we started from a different place. We started as a place where those who were fleeing religious persecution could have hope, and I believe God saw that and gave us a promise. And I do not believe that America was a promised land for the... One's willing to flee, but I do believe that it's a land that gives us this opportunity. I do believe certain parts of our Constitution were based on the principles of who God is, and yet at the same time, we have distorted that, twisted it, and tried to make it our own thing. America is not a Christian nation. We're a nation made up of many people, some of which are Christians, but by our actions as a nation, we don't necessarily even reflect that anymore any more than Cambodia, Canada, or Cuba. I just picked three C's. There was nothing significant about that. If you're at one of those, I'm not picking on you. We are a nation of people, many of which believe in God, but if you look at the statistics, it's less and less and less every year. I believe that the blessing of God comes from his presence, not from what he gives us, but I also believe where the presence of God is where that is, I believe people experience incredible things. We try to make Jesus into the friend-only Jesus, which is similar to the me Jesus. I like him, but I don't live any different. I like Jesus, but it doesn't change how I live today. It doesn't change how I react today. It doesn't change whether or not I love my neighbor or whether I keep his commands or whether I sacrifice anything, whether I spend time actually in his word, none of that changes. I just like Jesus. Because Jesus is my friend. That kind of Jesus requires nothing of me. He accepts you as you are, but you know what? Jesus loves you too much to let you stay that way. He constantly wants you to be growing and learning and becoming more righteous and more like him. And too many of us, we want to come to church, we want to punch our card, we want to show up our two to three times a month, because that's what American Christians do. 2.6 is currently the average that somebody who is engaged in an evangelical church in America, 2.6 times a month. So we show up, we punch our Jesus card, I'm good for the week, and then we want to go about and live our life no differently. And the problem is, the reason America, you're seeing less and less and less each generation actually connected with the church and connected with God is because we do this, and it makes no difference in the lives of our kids because it doesn't really make any difference in our lives. We don't go home and say, wow, that message today really impacted me. We don't read our Bible and say, hey, I was reading this. What do you think of this to our kids? What we do is we say, obey and do what I say and be a nice kid and learn to share And we teach them good morals and good values, but we don't have an expectation that you're going to understand and know who Jesus is. And I'm not talking about a condemnation. I'm talking about the freeing Jesus that loves them so much that he has a plan and a purpose for their life that's greater than what they could do. So the beauty of obedience is this. When I really begin to obey God, it begins to change who I am, and it begins to pour out and exude from me. Anybody ever eat so much garlic you can smell it through your skin? All right. So I'm a garlic guy. I love garlic. And we had a friend of ours named Jeff who lived with us. He, had, um, was, he was like between apartments, so he was going to live with us for four weeks. Four months later, he was still living with us on our couch. We had a two-bedroom apartment. Our daughter was in one bedroom, we were in the other, and our friend Jeff lived on our couch for almost five months. But Jeff would cook. Jeff was a good cook, and, but he loved to use garlic. And there was a, and I loved it, and he'd make a pork roast with garlic. he'd make this with garlic. And one night he made these pizza, these little like uh, in-oven pizzas on a thin crust, and he used uh, olive oil garlic, and I loved it. And the next day, I'm sitting in my little cube, sniffing, and all I can smell is garlic." And I literally went like this to my skin, and it just smelled like garlic. I left work, went home, took a shower, and told Jeff, "No cooking with garlic for the next two weeks. We smell like garlic. That's what Jesus wants. He wants to be so in you that He exudes from you. And when you walk in a room, people know there's something different. But that doesn't happen because I show up for church once a week. It happens because I engage my life in who He is. It's not what I do, it's who I'm becoming. So it's not just about you got to go do and do and do. It's that I got to know Him. I got to spend time with, in prayer with Him. And prayer should never be thought of as a doing, prayer should be thought as almost an accepting of what God is trying to tell me. A listening more than speaking. But so many of us, prayer is a rote thing. And I'm not against people who pray from a book. If that's how you best connect with God, get a book of prayers and read those prayers and read them out loud. I used to read, Luther has a morning prayer and an evening prayer. For one year, every day, I would read his morning prayer out loud in the morning and his evening prayer out loud in the evening. Why? I wasn't converting to Lutheranism. I wasn't changing my... Because I wanted to experience and understand how a different group of people experience God. And you know what? I connected in real ways because I began to actually not just say the words, but say the line, and then stop and pause and think. And it began to change my prayer life, understanding. And yet, I'm still the guy who likes free-flow prayer, who doesn't want to have to follow a book but I want it to be real in my life. I want to learn to listen as much as I speak. The friend-only Jesus, the problem with that idea is Jesus is my friend. And I mean, we've done VBSs and we've done camps and we talk about Jesus as our friend. But when we begin to have this friend-only concept instead of a savior concept, the friend lets us get away with a lot. The savior requires me to examine my own heart how do I say yes to a savior but not yes to the things he's asking me to give up it changes the way I do things and the way I see things Luke eleven twenty seven and 28 says this as Jesus was saying these things a woman in the crowd called out blessed is your mother who gave you birth and nursed you and he replied blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it the man they try to even compliment his mother and he goes no Blessed is the one who hears the word of God and obeys it. In this context, literally it's the word blessing. The way she uses it is she should be exalted above other people. Almost honored would be a, another word that could be used there. The way he responds is this blessing, blessed, The way that they use it is the presence of God. The presence of God in the lives of those who hear the word of God and obey it. The presence of God is with those who hear and obey. That's what Jesus says. Who hear and obey. Those who know what he's calling us to. He's not calling us to perfection. He's not. He's calling us to know that we have a hope in him. If we're going to obey, that means the presence of God is going to be with us, which then makes us know and understand God at a deeper level, which this requires us to respond again. It's a big circle. I obey God's presence with me. I understand him more. I respond. He asks me something else because now I understand him at a deeper level. I obey. God's presence is with me more. I respond. It just keeps going. And it's broken when I choose not to obey what he's called me to do. I've had people tell me before, God's calling me to leave this church. Always breaks my heart, but I have no response for that. What am I going to say? No, he's not. I don't know. Maybe he is. What I think God calls us to most of the time is not what church to go to, but whether or not we're going to respond when we're there. Whether or not we're going to do what he's asked us to do. Because truth is, I want you here. I want you all here, and I want all your friends here because I like people. But it's not, uh, you got to do this and do this and do this. It's not about that. And yet at the same time, I want us to learn to obey and to respond to that. And if we're doing that, if we're learning to obey and to respond, people are going to be drawn to us. They're going to be drawn to you, and you're going to make a difference in their life. And as you do, you have to understand, just like Romans 5 tells us, now, Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Obedience gives us hope. Obedience offers us hope because when we obey, what is with us? The presence of God. The presence of God is with us when we obey. Um, I was talking one time about healing. And I greatly offended someone because I said, you pray for someone for healing and then when they die, you step over the dead body and pray for the next person. And that greatly offended someone. I don't mean to offend, but what I'll tell you is these are not the magic hands and yet I've seen people healed when I prayed for them. But not every time. Which means the Holy Spirit must be active somewhere. I have prayed for people, literally seen them physically healed, prayed for other people, and they died within hours. I've sat with people while they were dying, because when I worked at the hospice hospital, one of our policies was, if you know they're dying, no one dies alone. And so I would sit with people, and then they they would come and relieve me, but there were days I'd sit with someone for two or three hours, then the nurse would come and relieve me for 20 or 30 minutes. Because it's hard to sit and watch somebody and go, is that their last breath? Then I sat with them, and while they died, and then I called the nurse, and they come in, and they check, and they confirm. And I would pray for people. But mostly I prayed that they would know God, that the words I said would bring hope and would bring life, and that they would have a relationship. Yes, I prayed for healing. And many times, I didn't see that. We had a little four-year-old girl that had been brought to our hospital. This was the hardest patient I ever saw because she looked so much like my daughter, little blonde hair, blue eyed. And I'd go in. And she had leukemia and she was dying and I would pray and I'd say, God, this isn't, where is the justice? It's one thing when I have an 87-year-old man who lived a good life and his family's all glad and they've all come and now we've got him for the last five weeks of his life and we become friends, but he dies and I expect it. But where is the justice in this, God? And yet, God never says don't pray for her because she's young or don't pray for him because she's older. I'm only going to heal young people. I'm only going to heal old people. And I look and I say, where is this, God? Where is this justice? Why do bad things happen? And as I watch her slowly die, I have to ask myself, do I believe in healing or not? Am I going to obey what God said? Because you know what? It's so hard right now to obey and to believe. And yet, when she dies, it doesn't mean I don't pray for healing for the next person. That's all I was saying in that statement when I said, you pray for someone and then you step over and you pray for the next one because God's called us to do the praying, not to do the healing. God's called us to be the instruments to call out to him. And I can't understand it. Why sometimes someone's healed and sometimes someone's not. But God doesn't say do it if it's easy. God doesn't say do it if if it's convenient. God says, pray for the sick care for the widow and the orphan. There's things that God calls us to do. Give 10%. That's one of the hardest ones. How do I do that when the budget's tight? Certain things are easy for me. It's easy for me to love people that I like. It's easy for me to love my kids. It's hard for me to love my neighbor. Hard for me to do some things, but he doesn't say do the things that are easy. He says, Obedience creates blessing. Blessing is the presence of God, and I want that in my life. James 1 through 25 says this Do not mis- merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word of God but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This week I was at camp. And you have a little bit of, you'll just, you don't do the same basic cleaning. Your morning ritual becomes really short. So I had breakfast one day, went around my morning, went into the restroom just before lunch, to use the restroom and clean up, and I stand up and I look, and right there in between my teeth, I have green flecks of whatever was in the eggs. I was like, four hours I've been walking around here. Four hours, nobody could say, hey, you got something green in your teeth. Not only that, one of my jobs at camp is to, every day we have to make a run to town to get batteries and squirt guns and everything that we've forgotten and my daily run to town happens about 10 a.m., right when the kids, they leave chapel, and then they go out, and they have about a 30-minute break, and then they go into workshops, so it's a good time for me to slip away. I had gone to town. It's one thing that they can obviously tell you're camping, you know, you're you're covered in dust and everything else, but nobody could have told me that. I think it's the truth in our spiritual lives. Sometimes we're just a little too nice. We see something in someone, and we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. We don't want to offend. We don't, and again... We don't have to be a jerk about it. But sometimes if you're in a relationship with someone and you see something, maybe instead of just avoiding them forever, maybe instead of getting angry and leaving the church, maybe we could lovingly find a way to say, Hey, I see this. I think God wants to work on you in that way. And maybe we could learn to receive it. Because it wouldn't have bothered me if somebody said, You have something green right there in your teeth. I would have gone, Oh, okay. Kind of covered my mouth and tried to get it out. Maybe gone in the bathroom right then, not four hours later. Obedience has a promise, and that promise is God's presence in your life. But for some of us, that's really scary too. Because the presence of God in our life comes at a cost. Because I've got to then be more like Christ. And man, that's scary. The presence of God in our lives is a scary thing. Continually becoming more like Christ. I literally wrote that twice so that I would make sure I said it twice. Because I want you to understand that. I'm going to say it a third time. Obedience has a promise, and that promise is the presence of God in our lives. The presence of God in our lives has a cost, and that's continually becoming more like Christ, which then requires something of me. And man, I don't like there to be any, any requirements of me. I love the idea that grace is free. I hate the idea that there's a cost for that free grace. I look back and think on my life, how many things I would have done different. And yet the way I did things shaped me, and they've helped me to understand who who God is, in a real and more meaningful way. If I want to experience that genuine connection with God, I must be willing to obey his instructions in my life. It's not enough to just say I'm a Christian and let that go. Let that be it. But I have to experience him in my life. The beauty of obedience as a lifestyle is that we have hope. When I begin to live my life daily following what he's called me to do, I begin to have a hope that only he can give. And that's what I want to have, and that's who I want to be. Father God, I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for our congregation. I thank you for your love and your grace in our lives. God, may we know you more and see you more. May we sense you more. May we understand you more. May we learn to obey you so that your presence is real in our lives. Thank you, Father God, in your name. Amen. One more thing I want to um, let you know that we have coming up. It's in October, which seems like months away. But it's something that we have to pre-sign up for. And that is a blood drive. Some of the men in the men's group have really been motivated that we should. We talk about how are we going to connect with our community. And this is a real and practical way um, to connect with our community. Our community needs blood. And we have it. And I want yours. October 6th, it's a Saturday morning. It's normally our men's breakfast. We're inviting everyone in the church. Come on out, give blood, have a free breakfast. Not just like a tiny cup of juice and a cookie, but an actual breakfast. Come on out, give blood. But we have to have 25 people minimum signed up before they'll bring out their giant bus. And I want that bus here so bad. I don't want them to just hide in here and tell people there's a blood drive and no one see it. If we're going to do it, I want credit for it. Am I right? So I need you to sign up. It'll be in the email. Once we have 25 people confirmed, which I don't see that as a problem. I know you're looking around going, there's hardly 25 people here today or whatever it is you're thinking. But remember, we're on summer. We have people on vacation every week. Um, you know, three weeks ago, we had uh, yeah, 160-some people at church on the lawn. And I was like, where did all these people come from? And then I realized, oh, wait, these are just our people. We all just showed up in the same week. Um, so please sign up today. John Brush will have a sign-up in the back. He'll be by the information booth. I know there's lots of things to sign up for, but it's because we're an active and vibrant community, and we want to reach our, our world around us. And different things connect with different people. Some people are going to go to a baseball game that would never go to a women's retreat. And there's people that are going to go to a women's retreat that would never do a blood drive. So, we try to do things to help you connect with one another so that we get to know God better because you can't know God outside of community. From the very beginning, he looks and he said, it's not good that man should be alone. Too many people have used that for a wedding. It has nothing to do with a wedding. It really does have to do with community.